this series called The Blessed Life, and we're talking about what it means to live in the blessings of God. And last week, if you weren't here, let me sort of catch you up. We talked about how living in the blessings of God, honestly, the blessed life is more than dollar signs and, and more than money. It's not even, it really doesn't even start there. Generosity and blessing and all of that. It really is not a matter of your checkbook as much as it is a matter of your heart. That all of that stuff really does start in your heart. It's not about percentages. It's not about... It's about your heart and the, and the posture of your heart. And is your heart in the place where God can bless you? The Bible says it this way, that where your treasure is, that your heart follows that. that it's just amazing what happens. Your heart always goes where your money is, your treasure is. And so we said that before you talk about anything else in the blessings of God, you got to make sure that you know that God's after your heart. He's not after your money. He's not after your wallet. He's after your heart. Just so happens your heart's connected to your wallet. And so... Uh, we sort of laid the groundwork for what it means uh, you know, to live in the blessed life. And today I really want to stretch you to, to believe that you can live this kind of life. You know, I meet people all the time who they believe that whatever it is I'm preaching is usually for the next person. You don't talk, Chris, you probably know what I'm talking about here. It's usually for them. Like when, when you hear somebody preaching, you ever do this? You ever heard somebody say something really good and you're like, boy, I'm glad they're in church today because they really need this. Like they, I am so glad my husband's here because he needs this so bad. Preach it to him, pastor. That's one time that you'll amen. None of y'all amen until I start talking about your spouse. And then you're like, amen, glory to God. Just thank you, Jesus, that he said that. Today, I want you to know I'm talking to you. And I want you to believe that you can live this. Most people believe that other people can be blessed because you look at their life and you say, man, I want what they got and I want the blessings of God like they've got them on their life. And, I, you know, I believe that God can do something for them, but I don't know that I believe that God can do it for me. And I want you to know today, I want you to leave today believing that God can and wants to bless your life. That you really can live with more passion in your life. I don't want, I never want you to sort of live a passionless existence. I don't, I don't want a, a church full of people that are just sad and lifeless. I want you to be full of passion about your life. And I, I, that's why we, we talk about being a life-giving church. I want you to be full of life and full of hope and full of passion. I want you to have more joy. I want, I want you to believe that you really can get out of depression and you really can lift your head up, you know, out of sort of the doldrums of, I don't know, you know, what's happening or why is this not going the way it should, that God really can give you more joy in your life. That despite what popular culture tells you, you really can have more contentment. That even though culture says, you know, that we got to keep striving for more and bigger and better and bigger houses and nicer cars and better boats and, you know, everything's got to be more, that you really can be content with what God's blessed you with. How many of you will be honest and just as we begin today say, man, God has blessed me abundantly. Let me see your hands. Come on. God's, God's blessed me. I want you to believe that about your life. Now, I want you to believe that you can have more contentment in your life, more peace, that you don't have to sort of live in turmoil all the time. Your marriage can be... Uh, peaceful, and you can have peace in your life, and you can rest at night, and you can sleep well knowing God's working on your behalf. I want you to believe it's not just for everybody else, but it's for you. That God really does have more blessing than He wants to give you. That God can bless your life. Shout amen to that, everybody. That God wants to bless me. As a matter of fact, I want to, I want to let God's Word today try to convince you how to get in, your, get in a position where God will bless your life. I want to convince you that it's His will for you to live a big life and a blessed life, to live where God is, you know, you're sort of under that open heaven where the blessings of God can, can reign into your life. And it's a promise that Jesus made you that you could have. John 10 and 10 says it like this, that the thief comes only, this is the only reason the devil exists. He doesn't exist for any other reason in your life except for these three things. He can't do anything else in your life. He can't understand your thoughts. The devil can't, he only can understand your words. It's why your words are so powerful. He can't read your mind. Some people think, well, you know, the devil, he can, the devil can't read your mind. All he can do is listen to your mouth. The, the devil can't, I grew up in a real church environment where we thought everything was the devil's fault. You know, if the car didn't start, it was the devil's fault. It, it, probably because you didn't put gas in or you didn't change the oil. But we would blame the devil for everything. Listen, the devil can't do everything. He can do these three things. He can steal what God has given you already, the thing that God has blessed you with. The devil's plan is to steal that thing. He can try to kill the dream that God's given you, the potential that you have in your life. And he can try to destroy the future that God has planned for you. As a matter of fact, the devil's whole mission is to steal, kill, and destroy the purpose of God in your life. So if you come to City Hills very long, you're going to hear us talk about purpose more than probably anything else. 
because I'm combating the plan of the enemy. The plan of the enemy is to steal what God has given you, the purpose and the dream and the plan that God has, to kill your dreams for what God wants to do and to destroy the future that God has planned for you. Jesus is talking here in John 10 and 10, and he sort of juxtapositions himself against what the enemy says. He said, that's what the enemy's come to do. That's his role in your life as a believer. But I have come. Jesus said, I've come that you have two different things. Now, if you read another translation, it separates these a little differently. He says, I have come that you may have life. Underline that or circle that in your notes, that you may have life. And then there's a comma, and then he says, and that you may have it to the full. Or another translation says, that you may have abundant life. Two different things here. The first life that Jesus came to give you is eternal life. That the plan and purpose of Jesus is to seek and to save that which is lost. That's that's why Jesus came to earth. He came to save you from your sin, save you from yourself, give you so that you redeem you back to God, redeem you, but reconcile you to the Father. The Bible said that God was in Christ reconciling us to himself, that God wants you to have an eternal life. Listen, unfortunately in my line of work, I, I get to be with people at the highest times of their lives, and the lowest times of their life. I get to be there when you get married, and hopefully that's the highest time, one of the highest times of your life. Some of you are like, I don't know if that was a high time, but whatever. Anyway, I get to be there at that time. I get to be there when you have babies, and I, I love to dedicate your children. And I go to hospitals when people in our church, people on our team, and when they have babies, and they'll call me, and I get to go you know, pray and bless that baby and thank God for the blessing of that. That's the highest time of your life. And then, and then the unfortunate side of what I do is I, I, I'm, I'm there at some of the lowest times of your life, too. I'm around bedsides of terminally sick family and, and friends and the people in your life. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, there at a funeral. You know, they're sort of helping you navigate and walk through and, and many times, you know, preaching and sort of guiding through the lowest times of what may be your life. And over the last almost two decades of, of ministry, I've, I've realized that it's, 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 I've stood at countless, honestly, countless funerals and, and, you know, funeral homes and churches and just all of gravesides. I've done memorials just everywhere. And I think to myself, how do people live without the hope of heaven? Like, how do you face a funeral? How do you face the end of your life? That The Bible says it this way, that we don't grieve or mourn like other people mourn who don't have any hope. That God's come to give us the hope of an eternal life. That this is not all there is. Shout amen to that, everybody. That there's another life beyond this one. And we're not just living for this one. I'm really, the first thing is I'm living for it. Jesus came to give me life eternal. Life on that side, that there's hope in heaven, that if everything doesn't work out here, there is a place over there that will work out, that everything will work out, that he's working all things for my good, not just my happiness, but for my good over there. Shout amen to that, everybody. That there's hope of heaven. I want to raise a church where we're not just focused on us and this. One of the misconceptions of modern Christianity is that God owes you to fix your life here. God does not owe us. Anything more than Jesus, he's provided Jesus for us that will fix our life there. That's the hope that God said, I'm not just, everything doesn't have to be settled here, but I will promise you a life there. Shout amen to that. But that's not the only life. Most people in Christianity sort of stop at, I'm saved, I've got this eternal life, I've given my heart to Jesus, he's the Lord of my life, and that's the end of it. And then they live their lives in this purposeless existence where they believe that everybody else, you know, God wants to do something for them, but God could never do something for me. And Jesus said, there's another something I want you to have. I want you to have this full life, or one translation says abundant life. The the one I want to tell you, he says, I want you to have eternal life, and I've promised you a blessed life. Like, I want you to have a blessed life. I I want you to believe that God can bless you. That God wants to do something for you. But not just for you. He wants to bless you so that you can bless others. There's no better example of God sort of expanding someone's mind to believe that God has a plan for them than the Old Testament character of Abraham. If you're new to the Bible, new to Christianity, Abraham uh, is sort of the, the first person who hears the voice of God to come to sort of follow God. When you, when you talk about you know, sort of the story of the Bible, you'll talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, you know, Abraham's kind of the founding father of this, uh, of following the God of the, uh, the, God of the Bible, and, and he's called the father of faith. And God calls who is then Abram, his name is Abram, out of this wealthy life. 
Most historians believe that he's a, he's a massive landowner. He's got he probably has you know longhorns. Come on, somebody. He probably got cattle on a big ranch somewhere, and and God and 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 he's you know he's living what seems to be a good life, and God calls him out of Ur, the city that he's built all of this wealth in, a very cosmopolitan area. God kind of calls him into what is then the desert, uh, you know, uh, towards Canaan, and says, "I want you to follow me, and I'm going to show you where we're going." And I got some promises I want to have in your life. I want you to believe that, that I want to bless you. And Abraham sort of has this idea. And he goes, God, I'm, I'm blessed. I mean, look at what I got. I got stuff. I got land. I got longhorns. I got cattle. I got sheep and donkeys and goats. Come on, Mark. I got everything that I need. Like, I don't know what more you could do. And God tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Now, this is bigger than just goats and, and, and longhorns and cattle and land. He said, I want to make you the father of a great nation. He says, I want to bless you, and I want to make your name great. And then he tells Abram, I want to make your name so great. I, I want to bless you so that through you I can bless the whole world. I want to bless the whole world through you. And then, then the next couple of chapters in Genesis sort of had this conversation back and forth between Abraham and God about how God wanted Abraham to believe him for something bigger in his life, that God could bless him, that God was going to make him. God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, the problem with God telling Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations is Abraham and his wife Sarah can't have children. They don't have any children, and they're, and they're old. They're, it's later in their lives, and they haven't had any children. And God tells them, not only do I just want to bless you with a baby, I want to bless you with a nation. I want to make you the father of a great nation. And, and I know what it's like. Brandy and I sort of walked this journey the first 10 years of our marriage and infertility. When people would come up to us at year two or year three or year five or year six or year seven and say, when are you all going to have kids? What are you all waiting on? And we would kind of, you know, in the beginning, we just kind of, you know, we just laugh and, you know, talk about, you know, we just want to spend our, you know, money and we don't want kids and we would do all kind of, we would just lie because it hurt too bad to, to, to tell the truth. And then after, you know, the first miscarriage and the second, and it's just, you, you dreaded when people would ask you the question, when are y'all going to have kids? And, and I could see Abraham and Sarah kind of going, God, I don't understand why. Like, why would you tease me with the father of many nations when I can't be the father of one son? I can't be the father of just one baby. We're just believing God for this, and you're talking about bigger. Listen close. Look at me in the eyes. Because oftentimes we believe the blessings of God are just for us. And we focus our whole prayer and our whole life, and our, we, we sort of center around me. God, I need a better job. I need a better job so that I can make more money, so that we can buy a bigger house, so that we can get out of the hood, come on somebody, and live in a nicer neighborhood, like a real neighborhood where people don't get shot. Like I need something with a fence at it. I need a gate would be nice. Come on somebody that works. I'm talking about a real gate, not chain link. I'm talking about I, God, I need a blessing and I need you to bless my life. I need a better car so that I can get to a better job. That, that I can buy a better home. God, it's all, I, I need this stuff. Bless me with all this stuff. I don't understand it. And Abraham goes to God and goes, I just want a son. God says, you're viewing the blessing wrong. I want to give you the blessing. Of, I want to bless your life, but not just for you. I want to bless your life so I can bless the whole world through you. And everything will change in your life when you start to realize that you are blessed to be a blessing. Shout amen to that, everybody. God will not bless you just for you. That God will not bless you just for you. That when God blesses you, it's for, it's for more than you. And so God and Abraham kind of have this conversation back and forth. God, this doesn't make any sense. Why could this happen? And then God tells Abraham in Genesis 18, the Lord says to Abraham, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I like how God talks about himself in third person and kind of asks this rhetorical question. Abraham, just so you know, nothing's too hard for me. Now, you listen to me. If you're facing anything in your life, I don't know what it may be today, that tries to contain you and tell you that, you know, God doesn't want to or that try to hold you back from the blessing of God or the blessed life, I want to remind you that there's nothing that's too hard for God. There's no family tree that's too broken. There's no poverty that's too deep. There's no addiction. That's, there's nothing too hard for God that God can't rescue you, redeem you, restore you, and bless you. Shout amen to that, everybody. 
I told first service y'all were going to amen better than that. Shout amen to that, everybody. There's nothing too hard for God. Nothing. And Abraham goes, oh, okay, so, okay, so this is God's business. And God starts, Abraham starts following God, sort of believing. Now, I believe you got big plans for me, but they're not for me. And God gives Abraham a, a promised son in Isaac. And, and, and then God sort of begins to develop this nation, the people of God, who God is still married. The Bible says he's married to them to this day, a covenant people. All from one man who believed that God could bless him. So that he could bless others. God has bigger plans than just you and your life and your picket fence and your two kids and one dog and everything just being about you. God's got a plan for the whole world. Matter of fact, the Bible says it like this. He says that what's impossible with men is possible with God. He says, listen, I want you to know that there's something that you seem impossible with. God, how do you bless the whole world through me? I know it doesn't make sense to you, but it's possible with me. God, I don't even have one son. You're going to bless the whole world. I know it seems impossible. And some of you have convinced yourself it's impossible. I'm never going to get out of this. We're never going to have money. We're never going to be able to get out of this neighborhood. It's never going to work. Our marriage is never going to be blessed. And God says, listen, I want you to know it's impossible with you but if you'll give it to God God can do anything God can do anything God can do anything because God's got big plans for your life so that your life can affect the whole world God's got big plans for you and his people but God's got big plans for his kingdom as well God's got plans to expand his kingdom Habakkuk 2 says it like this that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord God's plan is not just for Bernie. And I, I thank God for this area and where God's called us is Hill Country area. And we, we happen to live in, Brandy and I and our babies, we live in Bernie. But most, uh, about half of our church lives in Bernie. And about half of you live somewhere else. It, between Holotus and San Antonio and, and Fair Oaks Ranch and Leon Springs and Kerrville and Centerpoint and Comfort. And pe people drive, Spring Branch, Bilverde, they drive from all. I love that about this church. That this church is not just about this area because listen to me, God called us here, but God called us everywhere. The, our mission at City Hills is to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the Lord. Every person, every community, every town, every family, every student at UTSA, every student at UIW, every person, every child, every hill country town, every neighborhood in San Antonio. Let me go ahead and tell you this too, every neighborhood in Austin, the entire hill country, God's called us to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the Lord. God's called us to something big. God hasn't blessed us just for us. God hasn't blessed us just so that we can keep it about us. We will never be a church that's just about the people that are, I tell our team this all the time. We are not about the people. We're not just for the people that are already here. We are primarily for the people that aren't here yet. That it's God's plan for us to keep reaching and keep going and keep reaching. and fill. If God blesses you, listen to me, it is not just for you. Jesus said, I came to give you eternal life, but, but, but right after that, I came to give you some life that you could be a blessing to others. I want you to live in the blessed life so that you can bless other people. This is why we exist at City Hills Church. It's for this. Uh, we say this all the time. We write it everywhere. We exist to reach people. With the life-giving message of Jesus. It is why we do what we do. We filter every dollar we spend, every program we start, every ministry we have, every group that we have, every decision that we make. And when our elders meet, this is what we talk Does this reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus? Every event that we do, nothing gets on the calendar that doesn't reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. Nothing, we don't sing a single song in this church that doesn't reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. I will never preach something to you that doesn't reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. We'll never build buildings, spend money, go Places will never do anything that doesn't reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus. We believe wholeheartedly God's called us to reach people with this life-giving message. I, I don't want you to come to church with your head down. I want you to come to church with your head up, everybody. We're, we're never going to point our fingers at you and tell you how bad you are. We're going to point our fingers at you and tell you how much potential God has for you. The purpose God has in your life. The, the plan that God's put in your life. That's that life-giving message of Jesus. This is what we want. This is what Jesus prayed would happen. This is, this is the plan of God that when I bless you, it's not just for you, Abraham. It's so I can bless the whole world through you. It's so that through you a whole nation could be. I, I don't want anybody to perish. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says 
that he's not wanting anyone, not willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone, come on, shout everyone. Shout everyone. Everyone, Democrats and Republicans, shout amen to that. People that voted for who you want and people who didn't vote for who you want. People with your skin color and people who aren't your skin color. People who got here the way you wish they did and people who didn't come here the way you wish they did. Everybody, 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 everybody. People addicted to something. People in the gutter. People in dominion. People living under the bridge. People here. People people all over the world would come to repentance. We're never going to be a church that just focuses on us and you and about my stuff. No, no, no. When I go to God and ask God to bless this church and bless your life, I want Him to bless it so that we can reach people. I want to be blessed so that I can be a blessing to others. I want to get my life in a place. I want to open my heart to this blessed life that I can bless other people. But so many people sort of live this narrow view of blessing. It's all about me and my stuff. Paul would write to the church at Corinth and kind of deal with that self-centeredness of of people. It's, It's happened since the early church and it's happening today. And Paul writes them in 2 Corinthians and says, Dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter into this wide open, spacious life. This life that isn't so narrow-minded and so focused on just you and focused on your stuff and your problems and your, and your prayers. and Now, I want you to live this wide-open, spacious life. He said to them, we didn't fence you in. In other words, Paul is saying, we, we, we didn't draw this small life around you and fence you in and say, this is all you're ever going to have. This is all it's ever going to be. If you can just, if God would just barely give you enough to get by, then maybe it'll work and maybe you'll be okay. And maybe He said, no, we didn't do that to you. The smallness of your life, listen close, the narrowness of your life, that stuff comes from within you. Most people go on Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil to blame somebody else for why their lives are like they are. You know what I'm talking about. Nothing works out in my life and it's not my fault. It's because because I was raised in the wrong family. I wasn't born the right way. I didn't have the right education. We didn't have enough money. I, I come from the wrong side of the tracks. Nothing ever works out for me. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And I married the wrong person. I hate this whole life and I don't even know why it happens to me. And Oprah's crying and Dr. Phil's crying and you're sitting at home on the couch crying. Because their life is so terrible because of somebody else. And the Bible says that's not true. That the smallness that you feel comes from within inside of you. In other words, God's got bigger plans. Abraham, if you're just staying Ur, I know you look around and think, well, I got enough, but that's small. I want you to think bigger than where you currently are. I want you to know I want to bless you more than that. And that smallness of your life, that comes from inside of you. He goes on to say, your lives aren't small. Your lives, I didn't design you to live a small life, a self-centered life, a self-focused life, a life all about me and my stuff. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. When you live your life just focused on me and my stuff and asking God to just bless, I just, I want for me. He said, that's a small way to live your life. And then Paul kind of tells him, this is as plain as I can get. I love you. If, if Paul was from the south, he, this, this line right here would be, bless your heart. You know what I'm telling you? That's what Paul would say. He'd say, bless your heart, you little, little Corinthians. This is, bless your little hearts. And then he sort of, he ends with this line that I'm going to tell you. He says, I want you to open up your lives. Open up your lives. Open up your lives. And live openly and expansively. That everything God's blessed me with, He didn't just bless me with it for me. He blessed me with it for others. If God gives you a bigger house that you've been praying for, you better lead two small groups in that house so that you can use it for what God gave it to you for. Shout amen to that, everybody. I watch all those HGTV shows, sometimes with Brandy, sometimes by myself, whatever, anyways. And it's always about open concept. I want open concept. We just open concept here. Just open concept. Everybody's open concept. And it's amazing when God gives you the open concept that you've been praying for, how closed you get. Now I just want it to be about me and my family. No, no, no. Listen to me. If God gave you a better car or a minivan, you better run by and pick somebody else up for church that don't have a ride to church. If God blesses you with a better job, it's not just for you. It's so you can bless others. Whatever God's given me, I want to live openly and expansively knowing the blessing of God is not just for me. It's for others. 
That's better than that. You ought to shout amen to that, everybody. God wants to bless your life. Not just for you, but I want you to, I want you to live in this life, this blessed life, so that you can bless other people. So how do we live our lives openly and expansively? What does that even mean? And, and, and how do I do that? And here's the truth of the matter. Write this sentence down. Although God wants to bless everybody, He wants to bless people. Not everybody's equally blessed. And this is one of the hardest lessons that you'll learn as a, as a person of faith. That even though God wants to bless people, not everybody's equally blessed. And most people, when you come to this realization, you blame God. Well, God, if you would have, God, why them and not me? God, why them and not me? God, why did you give all the Sanchez boys seven foot height and not me? Why am I four foot and they're all seven foot? Why? What's wrong with me? Why did you do that? God, I don't understand. You blessed them with a new home and I've been believing for a new home for a year. God, you gave them a promotion and I've been praying for promotion for five years. God, what's wrong in my life? And here's the thing I want you to understand. Even though God wants to bless everybody, not everybody's equally blessed because you have to get in the prepared place and the position so that you can receive all that God has for you. The blessing of God is not discriminatory against, against people just because of who they are, but it is discriminate, it does discriminate against position. You have to get in a place where God can then bless you. There is a place where God can open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. But you can't stand underneath this side of the house and the windows are over there and you can't figure out why blessings aren't falling on you. It's because you're not underneath the windows that are open for God to bless you with. Shout amen to that everybody. If you have a ladder and you want to change a light bulb, you can't put a ladder right here and try to change that light bulb unless you're a Sanchez. You're not big enough to be able to reach all the way over there and change that light bulb. The ladder's not the problem. The position of the ladder's the problem. Most people believe that the ladder's the problem. Well, I've tried to tithe and it doesn't work. I've tried praying and it doesn't work. I'm faithful and it doesn't work. I serve and it doesn't work. It's not about the, it's not about the ladder. You've got to get in a position where God can bless you. If the open windows of heaven are here, I want to build my life where God is blessing. Shout amen to that, everybody. Most people want to build their lives wherever they want and then ask God to bless wherever they are. That's not God's way. God's way is I want you to get in position. I want you to get your life. I want to get you in the right place. People who are blessed, they pray differently. They pray bigger prayers. You, ever, you, you want to get around, you want to learn how to pray a, a, a blessing and a, on your life and pray blessing. Pray. Get around people who are blessed and hear how they pray. They don't just pray for the light bill this month. They pray to own the light company. Come on, somebody. They don't just pray for a bigger house. They pray to build a neighborhood. There's just something about how they believe God for something more than that. They're just they're trusting God. They don't just pray for health enough to get up tomorrow. They pray for a miracle that God's going to heal their body completely. That's the kind of prayer I want. They don't just pray that their kids grow up and be okay citizens. They pray their kids grow up and be world changers and missionaries and evangelists and pastors. and They change the world. They, 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 they pray bigger prayers. They live a life of obedience to God. One of the things that you don't see about people who have the blessing of God on their life is the obedience to God on their life. You can't look at people who are buff, you know, like me. You can't look at people who have a body, you know what I'm saying, and, and just think, well, if you just, I don't know why you're laughing. You laughed a little much on that. You can't look at those kind of people and go, well, I guess they're just born that way. You look at me. They're not born that way. There's not, it just, they're just not, it's, there's an obedience. There's a 4 o'clock wake-up call, and they go to CrossFit. If they go to CrossFit, they'll tell you about it on Facebook. They, they go to Planet Fitness. <laughs> That's a, nobody talks about that on Facebook. But on, like there, there's an obedience in their life that produces the result that you want. And if you want the blessing of God in your life, there's some obedience that other people are obeying God, that you're not obeying God. You can't have the same result that they do. They have confidence in the promises of God in their life. And they're positioned in the right place for God to bless them. And that's really what I want you to be. I want you to be in the right position for blessing. I want you to build your lives in the right position. So you say, well, Pastor, what, what's the right position? Like, how do I get my life? The Bible uses this analogy often of a tree. 
oftentimes, especially the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, you'll sort of see David sort of talk about. I think David lived a lot of his life sort of around, you know, tall trees and big trees and olive trees and cedars. And he would, he would, he would sort of make this analogy about the child of God and following God would be like a tree. And he would sort of give this analogy all the time. I, I want to be like a tree planted by streams of water, he would say one time. Like there's, there's blessing in that. And this is one of my favorite things that David kind of gives you a glimpse into the position of your life that God can bless you. Here's what it says in Psalms 92. It says, the righteous will flourish, here it is, like a palm tree. There he is talking about trees. And they'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon. I don't know what that means, but I'd like to grow a little bit taller anyways, like a cedar of Lebanon. This is the part that's important. Listen close. He's going to give you the proper position. This is the proper position for the blessings of God. He says, planted in the house of the Lord... Then they flourish in the courts of our God. I love this line. This is probably one of my life verses. That you get planted in the house of the Lord. Look around, everybody. Everybody, I want you to literally look around. This looks like a movie theater. It's got movie theater walk. It's got movie theater floors that are nasty. It's got, it's got movie theater chairs. Come on. Some of y'all love these movie theater chairs. I told our team, I, I, when, we, when we build a church, we're going to put wooden pews in it. With, just because y'all too comfortable in these chairs. Well, I'm going to get something in it. Like, it looks like, look around. It looks like a movie theater. It looks just like portable you know, lighting. and they, you know, Everything's set up and they tear it down. But you listen to me. This is not just a movie theater and chairs and lights and sound and screens. This is the house of the Lord, everybody. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name. Jesus said, I'm going to be right there where they get together. I don't care where you get together. I'm going to be right where you get together, everybody. And there's something about positioning yourself to get planted in the house of the Lord. You can't go to Home Depot today and buy a tree or a plant, pull it out of that pot that they sell it to you in, and throw it in the yard on top of the soil and expect it to take roots and start bearing fruit. It doesn't work that way. You got to dig a hole and you got to put that tree or that plant down in the hole. You got to water it. You got to plant it. You got to put it in the ground so that it has a chance to flourish and live in your life. Some people that I meet just sit on the top soil of a relationship with God or with God's house and they can't figure out why they're not flourishing. They look around their lives and can't figure out why God isn't blessing. I don't understand why we're not bearing fruit. Where's the fruit? Where's the stuff God promised me? If you're just if you're sitting on the top layer and you've never been planted, really got planted inside God's house, you can't expect God to flourish you. But if you will, listen close. And the Bible says He will flourish you or bless you in the courts of our God. I love this. He sort of gives this illustration in the Old Testament. There's a, there's a temple where they would meet with God and there were different courts that you could go into. And the outer court was called the court of the Gentiles or the court of women. And if you were a woman or a Gentile, you could only go that far. You couldn't get close to the presence of God. That's not the courts he's talking about here. That when, when, when you look at what courts he's talking about, he's talking about the inner courts. As a matter of fact, he's t- at one point he talked about the most inner court of the Holy of Holies. He said, if you'll get planted in the house of God, I'm going to let you get close to the presence of God all the days of your life. That's where I can bless you. Only when you get in position, Abraham. Only when you leave your comfort and say, "I'm going to God, I'm going to follow you and do what you say and get in a position so that you can bless me and bless my life. How many of you want that kind of blessing on your life? Let me see your hands. Everybody in the room. The position you got to get in is being planted in the house of God. In our last couple of minutes, I'm going to give you five simple reasons why I think the benefits of being being planted in God's house and serving in God's house and going all in. I think there's some benefits. As a matter of fact, the, the psalmist says it like this, that forget not the benefit, all of the benefits of God. Like there's a blessing that comes with being planted in God's house. And I'm going to give you five of those. Take good notes and write these down. If you'll decide to get planted in the house of God, if you'll decide to start serving and going all in and saying yes, and this, this is going to be home and not just home on the surface. I'm going to get planted here. Here's the first thing that happened. Write this down in your notes. You will find something bigger than your problems. 
If you will get planted in God's house and start serving in God's house, you'll find something bigger than your problems. Most of the time, the enemy wants to blind you by your own stuff. I, I need a better job. I need more money. We need a bigger house. We need our kids to come home. I need delivered from like the, My problems are all that I see. And if the enemy can keep you blinded and distracted by your own problems, then you'll wallow in them the rest of your life. But if you can get your eyes on other people and serving and being planted in God's house, it's amazing what happens to your problems. You will find something bigger than your own problems. Here's what Isaiah said. Yeah, you can clap to that, everybody. Here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah says it like this. If, if you will spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. If you will live your life for other people, if when God blesses you, it's the, bl- the blessing of life and talent and money and stuff and house, the blessing that God gave me, if you'll leverage that and spend it, the Bible says, on behalf of others, then something amazing happens to your own life. Then your light, not theirs, but your light will rise in the darkness. God, I love this illustration. And your night will become like the noonday. You listen to me. If you feel like you're in darkness and in night and you feel like, man, I don't know what's happening and I feel enveloped and what, what's going on, God, and I can't take it anymore. The Bible says if you'll learn how to spend your life for others, if you'll start focusing your life on I'm going to get planted here and I'm going to start serving others and giving my life and making a difference in their life, it's amazing what will happen. You'll look out the window of your situation one day and the sun starts rising. It just starts going. Your light starts rising up in the darkness and your problems become smaller when you start serving and getting planted in God's house and doing something for somebody else. And your night becomes like the noonday. It's bright. You'll look back over your life if, if, you'll, if, you'll, if you'll get planted and really go all in and serve. You'll look back over your life and you go, man, I started this year in darkness and I didn't know what to do and we were confused and we didn't have any money and we didn't know where it was coming from. And when I got connected and plugged in and serving and planted in God's house, it's amazing now how the light of my life has risen. And what was dark is now noonday. Shout amen to that, everybody. My problems become smaller because I found something bigger than my problems. You can't see the blessing of God in your life and in your family because you're too focused and you haven't spent enough time serving others. Here's the second thing that'll happen if you'll go all in, get planted, start serving, use what God's given you, the blessing that God's given you. Number two, you will be cared for and supported better. Some people just, it's a principle that you're just going to have to live out in your life. That you will get cared for better when you care for others. That your life suddenly, you now have a support system when you become a support system. That there's an interconnectivity to the body of Christ. I feel what I'm preaching right now. There's an interconnectivity to the body of Christ that if you'll strengthen them, you'll get strengthened on this. Come here, Eric. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Come down here. If you strengthen them, you'll get strengthened. John, Trent, right here. Come here, Trent. Hurry. If you'll strengthen them, you'll get strengthened. Now listen, I don't want you to drop me, okay? Don't, I'm fragile, all right? I'm heavy, but I'm fragile. If you'll link arms with them and you'll, you'll, start, you'll strengthen them, it's amazing what will happen in your life. You'll find strength. Here we go, guys. I'm going to let go and y'all going to hold me. You ready for this? You'll get supported because you supported them. Like, it's amazing what will happen. If you're together, you get cared for and you get supported. But if you're all by and you try to that you, there's no support here for you. I got to link arms with other people, and suddenly when I fall down, I got a support system to bring me back up. You understand what I'm telling you? Shout amen to that, everybody. Thank you, guys. When you lift them up, they'll lift you up. There's an interconnectivity to Christ's body. There's an interconnectivity to the church. It's amazing. Proverbs 11.5 says it like this. The generous will prosper. Not the stingy. Not those who keep what I have to myself. Not people focused on me and my blessing. But the generous prosper. And everybody, those who refresh others, who strengthen others, who link arms with others, they themselves will be refreshed. You'll find care and support. We always say it this way to our team. We pastor you better inside of a team and a group. 
Most of the times when someone sends me hate mail, none of y'all do this, but in in the first service they do. They'll send hate mail and say, nobody called me on my birthday. I was sick and nobody even knew it. Nobody even cared about me. Nobody even knew about me. I don't understand. This church, I hate you. I hate this church. Of course, I usually call their other pastor and they said the same thing to him. But anyway, most of the time my first response is this. I'm so sorry that we let you down. Where are you serving? What team are you on? And what group are you in? Because if you're not strengthening other people and caring for them, how are they going to care for you and support you when you're down? There's an interconnectivity there. You just think that it's all about you and there's this tunnel vision that you have that everything's supposed to be about you. That's not the way God's economy works. When God blesses you, He he strengthens you so that you can wrap your arms around other people and when you wrap your arms around them, they wrap their arms around you and there's this care and support that comes to you. When you refresh others, you yourself get refreshed. Shout amen to that, everybody. We pastor you better on a team. We care for you better. When you get on a team, a dream team, or in a group, come on, people are checking on you. Uh, you, you, you may not believe this. If you, uh, you probably do if you've come to City Hills very long. On Sunday afternoon, I got a list of people I'll start texting and calling. I don't call people who just barely attend at City Hills because I don't know. The people that I know are people that are on the team and in a group. I tell our team members, you call the people in your team and your care for them, support them them, pastor them, be there for them, but you can't do that if you're not planted and in the right position. Say amen to that, everybody. Here's the third thing that happened. i got to hurry. The third thing that happened, if you'll get planted, if you'll go all in, if you'll start serving as your children will grow up with the church as their family. This is probably one of the biggest things. I put it right in the middle, but honestly, it, it may be the first or the last, whichever one's the most important. That your children will grow up with the church as their family. Now you listen to me. I want my children to have friends. I want them to thrive at school. I want them to go to college and be a PhD and get all everything they can get. I want all of that in their lives. I want them to I want them to excel. I want Henry to play football for an SEC school. Come on, somebody. He's shaped like that, Conrad. I'm gonna put him at LSU or Alabama if it hair lips the devil. Or Arkansas. Come on. <laughs> That kind of, they can can succeed at school. I love the school district that we're in. I want them to go and get education. And I I love our teachers and I love our educators and our administrators. And if you're here today, you're a hero if you teach and you, you know, you give your lives for children. Come on, everybody, put your hands together for them. You're a hero for that. You don't even like your kids eight hours a day. And you go drop them off with them for eight hours a day. But listen to me. I do not want my kids' elementary school to be their family. They can be where they get educated. But I want the church of God to be their family. I want you to be the people they get their values from. Their worldview from. Their I want them to hear God has plans for their lives and purpose on their life. They're anointed for this generation. That God's got big plans. I want this to be their family. I don't want that to be their family. I want this to be their family. I'll never forget one of the first times, Mark, you may not even remember the conversation. Mark Minahan came to our church probably a year ago. Melissa, has it been over a year that you guys walked into a little elementary school? And I I remember thinking to myself, what in the world would a family like that walk into an elementary school? And God just used this family so incredible. And I remember one of the first conversations I had with Mark, he said, you know, we believe it's one thing to save up for college, but I want my grandkids and our little babies. He knew I had little babies. He said, I want them to go to good, good element. Like, it's important as they're little that we put the right things in them. I thought, man, we think alike. That's so true. And listen, I don't just want them to go to a good private school. I want them to go to a good church where this is their family. I want them to get a good education, but when they get here, I want them to get a good world. View. I want them to grow up around your kids. I want my kids to marry your kids. Come on, somebody. Especially the pretty ones. I want them to marry y'all. I want y'all to be in-laws. And I, I, I like this is what I want. Every, I want this to be our family. You listen to me. For everything I tell you about sort of the way I was raised, I was raised in church. I thank God every day of my life that my mom and daddy brought me to church 10 days after I was born, dedicated me to God, raised me underneath a pew. All my earliest memories are of my mom and dad serving at church, going to church early, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, prayer night. But 
youth group, whatever we did, I grew up, this was my family, everybody. This is church was not what we did, church was who we were. I am preaching to you today. You look at me in the eyes. I'm here today as a church planter and pastor and missionary. And what I do today is a direct result of parents who loved me enough and loved God's house enough to get so planted that they raised me in God's house. I want that for your children so desperately. I want them to find their spouse in God's house. I want, the, I want, you, I want you to listen. The best things in my life happened to me at church. The best things in my life. I, I was raised singing songs about heaven. I'm, uh, it's, it, the, or I'm singing in the shower. Anybody else sing in the shower? Brandy, come get me. I don't sing new stuff like Graylin because I can't sing like Graylin. I can't. Do, I'll sing stuff out of the. We used to have a hymnal. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? I, I'll sing. I'll sing out of the hymnal about. Oh, I want to see him. Y'all remember that song? I, 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 and Brandy would come and she go, where in the world? I said, I don't know. I just, we were raised singing this. Like this was family. This is what we knew. This is all I know in my life. The best things in my life come out of God's house. The best things come out of, I met my spouse in church. We gave our children back to God in church. Come on, we, we got anointed with oil. And, and the old prophet of God laid his hands on my wife and, and, and believed God for a miracle. And we gave birth to two miracles because of church, because I was in church, because this was my family. At 14 years old, I was in a portable little building where my youth group, my small 20-member little youth group met on the backside of a small little Pentecostal church in Lexington, North Carolina. And at 14, God called me to preach in church because we got planted. Because we got planted. And this became my family. And we're here today because of that family. And I want that for you. Here's the fourth thing, Henry. Come, let's, let's close together. Here's the fourth thing I want you to write down. i got two more and then I'll let you go. When, when you go all in and when you start serving and when you get planted in God's house, you get to be a part of the miracle in the lives of people. You, you get a front row seat into God changing lives. I think it's probably one of the best things about getting planted in God's house and serving and going all in, joining the team, that you get a front row seat to God changing lives, that you get to see the miracle. It's, it's always amazing to me when the light bulb goes off for a dream team or when they see somebody that they've been coaching or somebody on their team get baptized and they get out of the water and the person on their team is crying more than the person coming out of the water. You know why? Because you get to be a part of the miracle. Because you get to see the miracle of God changing their lives. You get a front row seat to God repairing and restoring marriages that are broken and beyond repair. And then God puts them back together and restores them. You get to see God heal the sick. You get to see God work in people's lives. You get to be a part of the miracle. Jesus in his first public miracle is at a party. I love that about Jesus. He hangs out with people in real life and goes to a party. And the party, they run out of wines, like some of y'all's parties, anyways. Not the same wine, by the way, but they go to Jesus. What are we going to do? We're out of wine. Mary, Jesus' mother, sort of tells the servants there, he, she says, listen to me, I don't know what's about to happen, but whatever it is he tells you to do, you do it. I believe God enough. That whatever it is he tells you to do, do it. So they go to Jesus and say, we've ran out of wine. What do we do? Jesus says, go get, he tells the servants, go get water pots, everyone you can find, and fill them with water. And if I'm on his original dream team, because that's what they are, I'm thinking to myself, why are we doing this? Why are we putting water in pots? This doesn't make any sense. Why would, we're out of wine, why are we putting water in the, this, God, I don't understand, but I'll do it, I'm going to serve here, I'm all in, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, I put water in there, and they bring them to Jesus, and you, you the, listen, Jesus was the original turn up, you hear me? I'm talking about turn, there's nothing more turn up than turning water into wine, that's what happened, that's turn, becomes wine. The, the master of ceremonies, the person who, the person who put on the party tastes the wine. He knows they're out. He realizes now, now we have wine. And here's what John 2 and 9 says. When the master of ceremonies tasted that, that water was now wine, 
He didn't know where it had come from. This is my favorite part. Though, of course, the servants knew because they were a part of the miracle. And you listen to me. When you go all in at God's house, when you serve here, you, you know. When people look around and go, how did this happen? I know. I was there at 6 o'clock pulling trailers. I know exactly how it happened. I remember what it was like when we were in an elementary school. I was there. I watched people. I, in the first 18 months, I watched 70 people get, get born again, come out of the water, and, 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 and have brand new life and water baptism. I, I was there. I was on the dream team when everybody had their eyes closed. And pastors said, raise your hand if you're giving your heart to Jesus. And I saw hundreds of hands go up and tears streamed down. I was there when 175 people have graduated growth track and decided to follow Jesus fully and discover their purpose. I was a part of the miracle. I know how it happened. I was there. The servants knew. Listen to me. You get a front row into being a part of the miracle of God changing lives. And it never gets old. 20 years from now, 30 years from now, Sam and Amelia, I want to be serving God. We won't be here, but we may be in another movie theater in another city. We started another church and we've got campuses everywhere and we're going to look at one another and remember what it was like for 20 years, 30 years to be a part of the miracle of God changing lives. Oh, we were there. Oh yeah, I filled the water up. I know how he did it. You don't get to see that unless you're planted in the house of God. And here's the last thing. Stand up all over the house. Keep your notes in your hand because I want you to write this down. Everybody stand. If you'll do it, if you'll start serving, if you'll join the team, if you'll go all in, if you'll become a member, if you'll stop dating and start marrying this life with God. And servants have no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. None. Servants have no regrets. You will never regret when you stand in front of God what you did for Him, ever. Matthew 25 says this, and when you get to heaven... He said, his Lord said to him, now listen to me, look at this screen. When you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to go, how about that new house? <laughs> how about that new car? How about that new, how about that, how about that husband? How, how about all that blessing I gave you? No, no, no. I, he's not going to talk about any of that stuff. He's going to look at what he gave you and how you leveraged what he put in your hand. What did you do with what I gave you? And he's going to say this, well done good and faithful servant. You've been, here's the line people miss, you've been faithful over a few things. Most people just quote that first line. That's all that God's going to say to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is not the last thing He says to you. He talks about what He put in your hands. I, the stuff I gave you, the talents, the gifts, that ability that I gave you, that blessing I gave you, the home I gave you, the cars I gave you, the job I gave you, the money I blessed you with, the kids I gave you, the influence I gave you, all of that stuff I blessed you with, you were faithful with it. Now I'm going to make you ruler over a whole lot of things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You will not regret one thing you did for God. One ounce of faithfulness when He makes you ruler over many. Because the truth of the matter is that you can live a blessed life if you're in the right position. How do I get in the right position? Acts 20 says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, serving God, helping weak people, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus said, not me, not this church, but Jesus says, You can be more blessed if you'll live a life for others just about me.